I attended the art to wear fashion show put on by the NC State Design School. Going into the event, I was not exactly sure what to expect. Would it be like one of the unconventional challenges from Project Runway or like a Marc Jacobs collection? I have been to runway shows before and I even covered one last semester for Eye on the Triangle, but I didn't know the premise of the show. So let me give you guys a quick rundown. Art to Wear is a yearly fashion show put on by the College of Design at NC State where students display their handmade runway collections. The show has been going on for 16 years and is completely student run. Art to Wear's vision is to challenge the audience and the designers to question the boundaries and conventional definitions of fashion. They seek to explore new fashion grounds and create new design pathways by encouraging their students to blend their technical skills with innovative technology. In Art to Wear's 16 years, there have been 164 designers, 3,679 yards of fabric used, 8,000 pairs of shoes worn, and 25,600 hours spent working in studio. Now that's intense. Art to Wear has had some pretty successful alumni too, including Ami Heidi Sayuki, who created Zoo as Zoo LLC, and Raleigh's own Vansana Nolintha, the owner of the restaurant Vitamanda. The theme of this year's show was Deja Vu. Memory is a great artist. For every man and for every woman, it makes the recollection of his or her life a work of art and an unfaithful record. The first collection was Madeline by Lizzie Lawrence. So my collection is about this sort of deja vu through flavor. I'm trying to convey the way that taste and smell associate with memory and how food has this vivid connection to nostalgia. So each look in my collection represents a different family recipe. Um, they both meant something to me during my childhood and meant something to my parents during their childhoods. One example of this would be my Sprite Cake look. Sprite Cake was my great-grandmother's recipe. It's this lemony, pineapple-y, textural cake. Everyone has experienced tasting this recipe from your family or just something you used to eat as a child and like it brings you back to that moment. Sharing a meal with different people, everyone could be experiencing this different moment of deja vu, um, even though you're there at the same place at the same time. Lawrence's collection was fun. Everything was knit or crocheted and in yellows and whites, which I would guess were in honor of the Sprite cake she mentioned. I really loved how this collection had a hint of childhood magic while staying true to modern looks at the same time. The next collection to hit the runway was Familiar by Hannah Stabler and Tristan Griffins. I enjoyed this design duo's take on the show's theme. They were inspired by the darker and confusing nature of Deja Vu and their collection reflected it as it contained eerie animalistic masks and darker hues when compared to Madeline. Um, so we titled our collection Familiar because we were going for that familiar yet unseen or unknown sort of feeling that is associated with Deja Vu. And I think in working together and brainstorming, we really started taking that idea and almost characterizing it and creating like a ritual narrative. My name is Alyssa Pagnos and the title of my collection is Enigmatic Daydream. So my collection is all about memories from my past and growing up, different animals I would see in my backyard, different plants I planted in my garden, basically anything that I can recall from memory. So to me, Deja Vu means so many different things because when I think about things I've already seen, that's kind of all I have. I have Starburst disease, so light doesn't properly get into my eyes, so my brain can't transfer information based off of the light and how I perceive things. Eventually, I won't be able to see except outside of my peripherals. 
I was really inspired by Padmos's collection because it was created from her gradual loss of eyesight. When I think of fashion designers, I don't usually imagine the visually impaired. However, she relied on memories from her childhood as inspiration for her collection, which tied in to the theme of deja vu. After Enigmatic Daydream, Laura Weicker's collection, Imposteria, hit the runway. Weicker's designs were inspired by the hawk moth, one of nature's most devious and deceptive members that uses visual, auditory, and olfactory tricks to escape predators. Weicker used leather covered in the pattern of moth scales to create her collection. The next collection to be showcased was Grace Hallman's Flora Street. Flora Street lived up to its name as it comprised of very trendy pieces covered in 80s-inspired floral prints. The collection combined beach vibes with sporty athleisure style. The sixth collection was Haunt by Carly Owens. Haunt was all about seeing ghosts from your past and heartbreak. The collection was ethereal and dark, with splashes of red to represent a bleeding, broken heart. Next was Grace Bilbao's collection Quasi. Quasi emphasized the overlap and division between the familiar and the unfamiliar. The collection featured modern, sporty pieces mixed with knit and Spider Baby, an unconventional puppet that rested on the model's shoulder. I would recommend checking out the photos from this collection. In addition, Spider Baby is featured in this year's copy of The Windover. After Quasi, Retrospect hit the runway. Retrospect was created by Christina Wright and was developed from the messy and missing feeling created by Deja Vu, like an unfinished construction site. Wright used the metaphor of the construction site in her work and it can be seen in the bright blues and yellows found throughout her collection. Following Retrospect came Delusions of Identity by Gianna Young. This was definitely the most avant-garde of all the collections in art to wear. Her collection was inspired by the obscured, distorted nature of memories. The designs were layered in a messy yet styled way, and the colors of the garments gradually got lighter as the collection progressed. Finally, the last collection was Nyctalups by Quinnin Dalton. Nyctalups is another word for night blindness and was aptly named as it was inspired by 70s and 80s dreamy horror zines and films. The collection featured lots of embellishments over knitting and felt to invoke the image of the dreamy, hardly human woman. If you did not get a chance to attend Art to Wear this year, I would highly suggest going next year. The show was incredibly well put together and the designers, like all of our students in the art program at State, were talented. If you want to see what I tried to describe today, I would also check out the photos from the Fashion Showcase, as well as the ones that we put on our blog at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. Anyways, thanks for listening. This has been Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. WKNC, you are tuned into Taste of the Triangle, your source for food and culture in Raleigh and the surrounding area. Today is a bit of a special show in which I cover an event that was held at the Art Institute in Raleigh-Durham. Before I get into the details of the event, I would just like to say briefly that the Art Institute is a beautiful facility with lots of amenities, the culinary program has lots of accreditation, and the food was delicious. They have an in-house restaurant that I will probably go back to to cover in future shows. 
but for this episode of Taste of the Triangle, I will be focusing on the event that honored Chef Lucas Hobbs. This is an incredible young man who at the age of 12 was diagnosed with stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma, and when approached by the Make-A-Wish Foundation, rather than wishing for a trip to Disney World, Chef Lucas wished to give back to his community, and he has continued to do so through his charitable organization, Chef Lucas Food. More details about Chef Lucas and his charity are to come with the interview. 88.1 WKNC, you are tuned in to Taste of the Triangle, your source for food and culture in Raleigh and the surrounding area. I'm here at the Art Institute in Durham with a very special guest. Will you say your name for me, sir? Lucas Hobbs. And Lucas is a very strong individual. Uh, at the tender age of 12 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer. Is that correct? Correct. From what I understand, you were approached by the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and uh, you, you had kind of a unique wish that you made. Uh, what, and what was that wish? I wish to serve others by food truck because everybody was so nice to me when I was sick. They would always, they would always uh, give me food, and while I was going through treatment, and that food, that food was really good, so kind to them. So I decided to, to just pay, pay that all back. Pretty awesome. I must ask, you are going by the title of Chef Lucas. Do you do much cooking yourself? We decided, like, because I didn't really like food that much when I was sick. My dad's like, you know what, But we should, like, do something, figure out how you can like food again. And then he decided, and then he ordered some meal kits, and then I asked, ooh, what's this? And he said, oh, it's some meal kits. We can learn how to cook and all that. And, and then when those meal kits came, I, I had a great time doing that, uh, learning how to cook. And I just, he kept on buying more and more of them and always cooking a good meal for the family, and it was fun. I'm also here with Chef Lucas's father, and uh, I, I want to ask you how it was that uh, you thought this could help Lucas. My history is I grew up the son of a chef. Growing up, my father and I, uh, I worked catering business. So having done that, I had always had that background and um, none of my other children really took to cooking or really liked doing it that much with the exception of one, and that was Lucas. Uh, so he occasionally would uh, help out as we do various things growing up, uh, or as he was growing up. Uh, barbecue was always his favorite. Um, we'd be out uh, barbecuing and that kind of thing. Uh, I'd love to be outdoors, but uh, uh, the mealtime was especially special for Lucas uh, at mealtime. Uh, Thanksgiving, those those types of things, and it was always uh, his time where he was the happiest. So when he got sick, and and I knew that that was kind of his happy place, um, I, I used that as an opportunity to start ordering meal kits because who likes to go shopping? Uh, these meal kits, they come right to your door. All the ingredients are there. Everything's there. Uh, meal kits like Blue Apron, HelloFresh, and and those type of companies. And, and uh, him and I got to uh, experience that together and experience the bonding of cooking together. And like Lucas said, it was very therapeutic for him. Very positive experience uh, throughout his treatment. It was a, an offset to the, uh, the scary time uh, of the diagnosis. And, and uh, of course, with Lucas's nonprofit, that's a main thing that we love to do now is get meal kits to, 
pediatric cancer families where we're from in Minnesota. We partner with a, a meal kit company up in Minnesota and we're able to do that. So we plan to expand that uh, uh, nationwide at some point uh, as we continue to partner with businesses and companies and hopefully we can uh, start something up here in Durham and uh, get some of these pediatric cancer families cooking together and experiencing the love that one another uh, really need to have at that given moment in their life. Thank you. You started out by serving the people in your immediate vicinity that had served you and you wanted to give back. How, how is it that you came to turn a make-a-wish cluster of events into a full-blown charitable organization? So once I was all done with my Make-A-Wish events, we're going around the community, uh, choosing the places that I wanted to serve that were like really nice to me. Um, I was invited to go out to the Rachel Ray show and and uh, towards the end of the show, uh, Rachel Ray gave me gave me a chef's coat and um, inside of that chef's coat was a envelope and that envelope had a check in it and that check said, pay to the order of Chef Lucas for $10,000 and that blew my blew me and my family's mind <clears throat> and we were thinking me my dad and my mom were thinking what we should do with that money and we all decided why not let's let's go ahead and make a uh, make a nonprofit chef lucas food uh, serves hospitals through food trucks and pediatric cancer families through meal kits that's quite an undertaking for a boy of your age. Do you uh, go go through all of this on your own, or do you have some helping hands? Well, I have helping hands. It's me and my dad. Whenever I ha when it comes to cooking, if I have a question, I'll ask him, and he'll help me out on that. Yeah. So uh, the one thing about uh, Lucas's wish that was special was that the whole community got together uh, uh, in Minneapolis and to fulfill his wish. So it was all the food truck owners and and. And there was about nine of them with the uh, Minnesota Food Truck Association that got together to fulfill Lucas's wish. So, in fact, it's it's um, the food service industry that we partner with and utilize their goodwill uh, to to do the events that that we have scheduled. For example, here in Durham, we're partnered with uh, four different food trucks. We've got uh, Ed Mitchell's Q on Wheels coming out. We've got uh, Gussie's uh, Greek Street Food. We've got um, porchetta, and we've got uh, fully loaded fritters. And uh, one of the things that's just extra special to us in this case is that we got to partner with the Art Institute here in Raleigh, Durham, and they are kicking off a wonderful event for us tonight uh, where they're gonna give us a, a, an amazing culinary experience before we uh, kick off our event, and they're helping sponsor our event at Duke Children's, so we're really honored and uh, by the partnerships that we get to have in the various communities that we go to. Uh, Duke Children's will be our third hospital. The last one we did was Vanderbilt Children's in Nashville. So uh, it's a real privilege to partner with local communities and uh, to give that thanks to the children's hospitals for the amazing people that are uh, saving the lives of children throughout uh, those communities. So it really is a privilege. Man Hobbs. Chef Lucas's father, just spoke of the enormous privilege that he and his son feel when they receive such great support from the communities that they visit around the country. 
Well, I had the opportunity to speak to one of their supporters in Durham, and it would seem from a supporter's perspective, the privilege is his own. Still here at the Art Institute of Raleigh-Durham, and uh, we have another special guest. Will you say your name and title for me, sir? Uh, my name is Chris Messaker, and I'm actually the president of the college. And Chris, what what is it that inspired you to uh, partner with these fine people and host this event here at the Art Institute? I think uh, as you and your listeners hear the story behind Lucas and just the unbelievable love that he wanted to, to demonstrate to the caregivers at the hospital that he was at, um, and then you start listening about the good that he's done uh, with his not-for-profit uh, throughout the area that he lives in and then expanding it out to his first hospital visit um, in another state. For me, um, as a father, um, as somebody who works with students on a daily basis and strives to really kind of demonstrate what doing good is all about, uh, and then lastly, as a culinary student uh, or as a culinary school, which we have here, um, we get the power of food and the power of being able to break bread um, as a family or with folks that you might not know and how sitting down at a table and eating together can actually transcend different cultures, um, different biases that people might have. Um, and so it's extremely powerful message. And so for me, um, I couldn't wait. And it was really more about how, how can we get them here? After a word with the energetic massacre, I turned back to the Lucas family for a few closing remarks. Chef Lucas, can you tell me a bit more about what's going on tomorrow with the food trucks? So, um, tomorrow we are deciding to feed Duke Children's Hospital because, one, they, the doctors and nurses, they, they are the heroes of, of kids who are battling an illness that is very life-threatening. They are the heroes that save kids' lives. When I was sick, okay, they were uh, figuring out what I had. They, they were always there for me, telling me that it's going to be okay. And I went under surgery, and those really smart surgeons were there, and they were able to figure out what I had. And then I was diagnosed with uh, stage 3 Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they were the ones that, all right, we need to give him four rounds of chemotherapy and four weeks of radiation. And that's what I had. I was in remission after two. And because of them, I'm alive today. What is the future for Chef Lucas Food? So my goal, my goal for Chef Lucas Food is to feed one hospital in every state in the United States. That, that is a big goal that I want. But as long as if we have a big team, um, I believe we can do it. One of the things I'd like to touch on is is that the unbelievable relationships that we get to uh, cultivate in each community that we go to, and not only that with uh, with families with sick children. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, we're working on is uh, we just put up a new website that's uh, www.cheflucasfood.org, and um, we're going to start partnering with uh, local chefs and people in the food industry to put up recipes for pediatric cancer families that uh, would be meals that are conducive to these families uh, when, when their child is having symptoms. With uh, proper nutrition and those kind of things, we can help uh, aid in our cancer treatments, uh, not only through uh, just 
you know, uh, staying healthy with uh, getting proper nutrients and calories uh, through treatments, but uh, beyond and ways and look for ways that we can um, educate families and, and uh, you know, children as they get older about maybe keeping that cancer at bay, keeping it from coming back. And there's some really exciting things happening in the world of nutrition. And we want to we want to start focusing in that direction as well. Well, there you have it, folks, the past, present, and future of Chef Lucas Food. Now, they aren't exactly based out of the triangle, but given their incredible dedication to making people's lives better through food, I would like to name them an honorary tasty slice of the triangle's culinary pie. If you would like more information about this excellent organization, you can visit www.cheflucasfood.org. And if you would like me to cover similar events in the future, please feel free to email publicaffairs at wknc.org. That's all I have for this week on Taste of the Triangle. I've been your host, Will Mayo. Thanks for tuning in, and stay hungry, my friends. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. Hello and welcome to the Modest Mouth Review. After 20-plus years, shoegaze legends Slow Dive returned to the scene with an eight-song self-titled LP running at about an hour in length. This follows a hiatus after a string of poorly received albums. Though perhaps some of those criticisms were warranted, this period of backlash towards Slow Dive came at the hands of reviewers disillusioned with the shoegaze genre as a whole, and resulted in a number of bands leaving the scene to form new groups in different genres. It would seem now that enough time has passed for critics to re-examine their feelings on the shoegaze genre, and as a result, Slow Dive has reformed and dropped an album that perfectly summarizes exactly what the genre should be. It's an album that encapsulates the band's sound and denounces former albums that strayed away from what Slow Dive is at its core for the sake of commercial appeal. The first most important thing to note is that the production quality on this album is absolutely astounding. Whereas bands like My Bloody Valentine still use overwhelming, abrasive guitars that are produced and mastered in such a way that makes every song sound like the equivalent of an audible blur, Slow Dive has produced this album in such a way that nearly every instrument and sound is both crystal clear and perfectly distinct. There's all the power of the raw, distorted guitar in the background, but it manages to keep from overpowering the dreamy, drawn-out vocals, synth, and lead guitar that carry the melody of the tracks. The resulting sound is, of course, only described as ethereal, floating into the listener's ears with little effort and carrying them away to a place of harmonious contradictions. A land where there's never too much echo or delay, and where abrasive guitars can simultaneously coexist and complement dream-pop aesthetics. It's a work of pure craftsmanship, and exactly what a shoegaze album should aspire to be. Furthermore, it's an album that manages to keep the listener's attention. In a genre where a lot of the songs within it end up sounding the same to some extent, this is an album where every track stands on its own. They're catchy, rhythmically and melodically complex, and they all sound different in their own way without being inconsistent. Of particular note in this regard are the vocals and synth work, which practically complete each song. The voices on Slow Dive sound so perfect and fit so well that it seems no one else could possibly sing these songs. 
These voices are intertwined lyrically and sonically, fused perfectly with each track. Throw in the otherworldly synth that brings out the harmonies of the guitar, and suddenly you've got a track that feels almost alive, a creature in its own right unlike anything else. To put it simply, Slow Dive is a beautiful album. It's a return to form, and one that couldn't possibly be more fitting for these champions of their own genre. Slow Dive marks the return of Shoegaze, a once prodigal child among genres that will return stronger than ever. If Slow Dive does indeed intend on a comeback, this new album lets them through the starting gate in full sprint. Slow Dive is, as you would expect, recommended for fans of classic Slow Dive. It should also appeal to fans of General Shoegaze, of course, and Dream Pop. Similar bands may include My Bloody Valentine, The Jesus and Mary Chain, Mogwai, and Mozzie Star. Fans of bands like Sonic Youth and Radiohead may also find some appeal in the artsy, ethereal nature of these shoegaze veterans. Either way, Slow Dive is an album worth listening to. That's all for today. Sorry it's a little bit short. I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Linz, Klesk, Floatstar, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As always, you can send in a recommendation for a review by tweeting us at WKNC underscore EOT or by emailing us at publicaffairs at WKNC.org. Thanks for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. Thank you.